The following is a bonus episode of Locked On Presents Through the Uprights, a special podcast series about what it takes to make it as an elite college and NFL kicker. Reported by Cole Weinstein and featuring interviews with Lou Groza award winners and decade-plus NFL veterans. Locked On Presents Through the Uprights is available now wherever you listen to podcasts. In 2002, Nate Kading earned the Lou Groza Award for the best collegiate kicker in the country. In 2003, the senior's field goal percentage improved by nearly 8 points. That's why Kading was considered an elite kicking prospect after graduating from the University of Iowa. It was good. You know, I did the whole shebang. So I did the senior ball and I did the combine and I probably hosted maybe half, six or eight different special teams coaches coming in for individual workouts to work me out in Iowa City. Even though Kading was a top-rated prospect who looked to go high in the draft, that didn't make the process any easier. Yeah, you know, it's definitely a nerve-wracking time. Do like a job interview every time those folks come in. But you know, I also had the feeling that my approach to it, you know, I always kind of pride myself on taking an athletic approach and not being quirky and not having all these weird things. I felt like that would sit pretty well with you know scouts and coaches. I also had a lot, you know, for two years, I put a lot of good football on tape. Regardless of how he performed in the pre-draft process. Kading had been an elite college kicker with NFL potential, and that would be enough for a team to want him. As he referenced in an earlier chapter, Nate Kading was not a quirky kicker. He was an athlete, a state champion and captain in three sports in high school, as well as the Des Moines Register's Iowa High School Athlete of the Year. He was ready to compete, and the Chargers saw that. The same year the Bolts swapped Eli Manning for Phillip Rivers with the Giants, San Diego made Kading the highest specialist taken in the draft, with the second pick in the third round. Kading was a prospect with promise. Now he's a high pick with expectations. It's certainly expected of if the teams use a really high draft pick like the Chargers did on me. So, I mean, it, and I knew that. That was the level of expectation that I had set for myself. Certainly, you know, coming out of Iowa and having a couple years in a row of 90%-ish success rate on field goals, I knew that that's the standard I set for myself. And I, you know, came in and expected literally to make every field goal that they put me out there to kick. Kading finished his rookie year kicking 80% on field goals. He would never finish below 82% during his next eight seasons in San Diego. That's one way to make it in the NFL. Nick Lowry's path is another. Cut by 18 to 11 times before I made it permanently in the NFL. Eight times by 11 teams. And yet, he found a way to last. So did top kicking prospect and high draft pick Kading. It's one thing to be a great high school or college kicker. It's another to earn a start in the NFL. To make a professional career out of it, That's a whole other beast. In a game as violent as football, where top athletes fight tooth and nail for mere inches in an attempt to make the other physically submit, how is it possible that winners and losers, championships and dynasties can be determined by a kicker? It doesn't add up, and yet it's an essential element to the game I love. I've spent the past few years fascinated by these athletes and tracking down some of the best to ever kick a football in search of what makes them succeed. Over 10 chapters, I'll do my best to explain the kicker position and what I believe it takes to make a champion. I'm Cole Weinstein, and this is Locked On Presents Through the Uprights, Chapter 9, Making It in the NFL. In 1996, Lowry retired the all-time leader in field goals made and percentage. In 1978, he 
he was just some undrafted kicker out of Dartmouth trying to make a roster. It helped me because there's a process and it's part of growing up. It's part of distinguishing yourself from the juvenile dreams to the mature adult dreams of life. And mature adult dreams don't happen just because you want something. We all have an idea of something we want to be in life. That comes up against the real-life rejection, and how we deal with that is really fundamental. Because if we see ourselves as being afraid that our dream will end, and then when we're cut the first time, as I was, if that means I'm not good enough, well, good luck. Lowry's first cut came at the hands of the Jets. The rookie had had a good preseason and was eyeing the starting job owned by kicker Pat Leahy, who was entering his fifth season in the league. The third preseason game, and we're in San Diego, and my two field goals were off the dirt rather than the grass, and I muffed them, and they cut me, and boom, there it was. What's going to happen when they cut me? What's going to happen when, for the first time in my life, I don't make a team? What happened was Leahy stayed the Jets' starting kicker for 18 years, and Nick Lowry was looking for new work. I wasn't crushed, but I was disappointed in myself. You know, what kept coming back was, I just gotta get used to this, and kicking off the dirt is something I gotta get used to as well. You know, all those different things that go through your head and your mind, your soul. He didn't have to wait long for another chance. Patriots starter John Smith had injured his leg, and a replacement was needed. To find the replacement, the Patriots invited free agents to come and try out. Lowry was not invited. I borrowed a Volkswagen bus and drove down with my friend David Coy with a bag of footballs and literally showed up at Foxborough. I didn't even know exactly how to get there. It's not like we had GPS. And I just knocked on the door and said, I think I'm better than the kicker you have to the receptionist. She's like, okay. And like magic, Chuck Fairbanks, the head coach, stuck his head out and said, okay, we'll take a look at you. And it was just a miraculous. The fact that he even gave me that shot, that stuff would never happen today. Lowry was signed not too long after and got the chance to kick in two regular season games. He made all seven of his extra points, but once again struggled from range against San Diego. The daddy missed a 45 yarder and they cut me and um, that was harder because I felt like, damn, I mean, I'd have you to give me a chance. But what it did was I noticed this pattern, which was a couple days of depression and sadness and then screw them. They don't know what I'm capable of. I just got to get better at this. I got to get more ready. I got to get physically tougher. I was so much better than next year. More teams more cuts until 1980 when Lowry joined the Kansas City Chiefs roster alongside starter and the first kicker-only member of the Pro Football Hall of Fame, Jan Stenerud. Totally the place where you think there's no way I could make it against Jan Stenerud, the greatest kicker in the history of the game at that point, the first dominant kicker ever, and yet I felt like I'd paid my dues. So when I went against him every day with a guy named Clark Hunt, Lamar Hunt's son, charting us every day, Clark after a couple weeks said, I think this guy's going to beat up Jan Stenerud. And he did. And no one believed it. No one thought it would happen. John played another six years in the NFL. It wasn't like it was the end of his career. I just kicked his butt day in, day out, beat him at everything, and gave Marv Levy a chance to make a very controversial decision, which he was rewarded for. Lowry had spent the previous two years being cut in favor of guys he thought he had outkicked. Rather than let that deter him, he believed in his passion and continued to try. 
Now he'd just beaten out arguably the greatest kicker of all time up to that point in football history. It was part of the learning curve, and I ended up being the best ever at what I did while I played. So each of those things became, it's a chapter, an opportunity to either get stagnated, to get down on yourself, to judge yourself, to brand yourself as not good enough, or to learn, to make adjustments, and get better. And uh, that's the stuff of life, you know, that's every single great story. Nate Kading and Nick Lowry are both great stories. Despite polar opposite experiences making the league, they both went on to make multiple Pro Bowls and would become respected as some of the best in the world while they played. As stated above, Lowry retired the all-time leader in field goal percentage. Kading would retire as second all-time behind predominantly Colts kicker Mike Vanderjack. Kading and Lowry both stuck around in the NFL because they became assets. They worked hard to improve at their craft and made an impact when they were called to do so. The clearest example I could find of this was with kicker Matt Stover during the Baltimore Ravens' 2000 Super Bowl run. Well, we had a defense that really, all we just needed 10 points, and we are going to beat these teams. 10 points. They weren't going to score. Holding the record for the least points and rushing yards allowed in a season in modern NFL history, the 2000 Ravens defense is widely considered one of the best ever. We had an, an offense that was turning the ball over. Um, we had a punter that was kicking, led the league in inside the 20 punts that year. And here we had a quarterback in Tony Banks on pick, kept turning the ball over. And I was like, what the heck? You know, we are in field goal right. This is kick three. And after 15 consecutive quarters without an offensive touchdown, Banks was benched for backup Trent Dilfer. Trent and I had a relationship already. He's a Christian guy, and he trusted me, and I trusted him. Heck, there were times when they intentionally went to the proper hash mark on third down just to get the field goal, because the field was so bad in 2000 at that stadium that they wanted it on the left hash mark, so I didn't have to come out of the middle of the field where it was all torn up. This is third down. Unorthodox for sure, but after being named starter, Dilfer led the Ravens to an 11-1 record the rest of the way, playoffs included. Trent was not prideful, and he wasn't trying to be the hero. I'll never forget, we were playing in an AFC Championship game against the uh, Oakland Raiders, and he throws a pick. He came off that sideline, looked at the defense, and apologized. I'm sorry, fellas. That was a dumb play. That won't happen again. I'm so sorry. And here he is saying that, and we as a team are going, that's all right, Trent. We got you back. We beat him 16-3. The Ravens won in 2000 because they embraced their strengths and limited their weaknesses. Trent Dilfer's ability to manage a game allowed the defense and special teams to shine without offense getting in the way. But you still need to put points on the board, which is where Matt Stover came in. In 2000, the kicking veteran attempted 39 field goals, making 35 of them. Both were the highest in the NFL that season and career highs throughout Stover's 20 years in the league. Someone had to put points on the board, and this time, it was the kicker. I wanted to be that guy that they could depend on. To me, that is a relational issue, not just a performance issue. And I wanted that relationship with the team. And that's how I carried myself on and off the field. And it's like gained the trust of my team in that fashion. But I also, of course, had to perform. But uh, that was a critical piece on it because they never doubted what they were going to get on Sunday. And that didn't just benefit Stover's teammates. You know, I missed three field goals in one game in 2005. And we lose the game, but they all looked 
to me and says, well, so you got those out of the way. Let's go. It wasn't like they were panicking. I just had a bad day. And then I came back and missed one field goal for the rest of the year because that was the opening game of the season that year. Stover went 30 of 31 on kicks the rest of the 2005 season. He didn't let one of the worst games of his NFL career derail his season, in part because he knew his team had his back. I have more joy from the fact that I believe what my teammates think of me. And I don't want them to say that, yeah, he was a great kicker. And no, he was a great teammate. That's what I say about Ray Lewis. Um, yeah, he was a great player, of course, but, you know, mostly he was a great teammate. In 2005, Stover had to look into maybe the most important relationship of his life, his family, and the work-life balance that came with it. I was so busy running around with my young kids, trying to do this, trying to do that, trying to be super bad, that I was doing too much. I didn't keep focused enough on my, my job at hand. And my wife and I, who is my greatest partner in my entire life and the biggest credit I give to my career is her, is that she looks at me and she says, we got to get some stuff off your plate. you got to just get focused in. And we put some boundaries around. As a fan, it's easy to forget the humanity of players. They aren't just a jersey you wear or a product on the field. They have lives and families, and like any working person in the world, need to balance things. That's a reality for many kickers trying to last in the league. It wasn't because football was our God that it was important at that moment. The family was just as important for more, and we actually ended up learning how to balance that. I think that's true, too, on how players handle the stuff. Stover's career and success was due to the relationships he had with others, his teammates, his family, and his God. My faith gave me boldness. It didn't give me cowardness. It didn't make me into a wimp. It made me stronger. It made me put things into context. Failure is a part of life and to embrace the failure and, and allow it to make you better. I think that's the way life should be. My faith created the foundation for my thought process of wanting the ball. NFL veteran John Carney agrees. Many of the kickers I've known throughout the course of my NFL career have had a strong faith in the Lord and that he has a plan for their lives, that that's their foundation. They don't live their life by made field goals, missed field goals, but they have a stronger faith and a stronger foundation of who they are and what makes them. And it's not just putting on a helmet and performing on a field, but they're much more than that. And to keep things in perspective, this is a sport and yes, it's a career, but it's not the totality of who they are. And that helps to keep things in perspective to move forward and not get swallowed up by one play that happened during the course of a football game. Carney is fifth all-time in field goals made, just one spot above Stover. Both kickers were only able to achieve such high marks because they spent two decades playing in a league where longevity is key. They learned to take care of their bodies. You certainly have to make adjustments as you get older because of your age. As men, you get mid to late 30s, your testosterone production drops. Harder to build muscle and recovery time takes longer. So knowing that, taking that into consideration, you have to adjust your workouts for the course of the week. You move some of your tougher workouts earlier in the week to give you extra time to recover by game time. But aging as a kicker doesn't just mean a change in training. Sleep again becomes very important. What you're eating, you probably take some more supplements, vitamins, minerals, trying to keep your immune system strong, amino acids, BCAAs, whatever it takes again to keep the muscle repair strong and quick, making sure you get enough protein. So your, your diet's really important. Unfortunately, when you're on an NFL football team, you're fed well and you have the majority of the supplements available to you, which is fantastic. And I don't know any great athlete that's played into his late 30s or early 40s that has not made a number of adjustments in their training to make 
make sure they're 100% on game day. 12-year NFL veteran and contemporary of Carney, Jeff Yeager, echoed Carney's commitment to his craft. I salute him because he really took care of his body better than most guys to play that long, and I salute him. Carney's commitment to the game and his body are what allowed him to play until 46, making him one of the oldest men to ever play in the NFL. One of the few athletes to top that age is Pro Football Hall of Famer Morton Anderson, who retired at age 47. Resting your body and not kicking a thousand balls during the week. There was a lot to be said for that. I would do much more mental training as I got older in the game than kicking. I would rep kicks in my mind and then transfer to the field, but my pre-games got shorter. My practice kicking sessions got shorter. Well, when I was young, I would kick 300 a day. I mean, crazy, crazy stuff. Like human jugs machine. Didn't make any sense, really, looking back on it. Could have probably played another couple of years had I not done that when I was 22 and 23, you know. So I agree with John on that very much, yeah. It was about getting your body right for Sunday afternoon. When I got to my late 30s and early 40s, my whole goal was to be good one day a week. So Sunday or game day, everything was focused, mentally and physically prepared to be my best on that day. The other days of the week, I wasn't that good. I was either in the midst of breaking my body down to be stronger later in the week or in some type of recovery mode. And so I wasn't strong or at 100% during the course of the week like I was when I was young, but everything was geared to be at your best on game day. As kickers age, so does the way they approach the game. The main focus of practice is no longer spending hours charting kicks and grinding to improve your game. Rather, the focus is engineering your body to perform at peak level just once a week. As Carney put it, the other six days of the week, you don't have to be very good. It's all just a game to make sure your body is in peak condition the one day it actually counts. Morton Anderson realized that wasn't something he could do on his own. You know, I'm good at what I do, but I'm not an expert on personal fitness. I'm not an expert on diets. I'm not an expert on being a chiropractor, massage therapist, or a sports psychologist or a fitness guru. So I hired people that were very good, the best in their field, and I included them. I asked them humbly if they would be part of my team. Of course, I paid them, but I wanted them to invest in my career altogether, kind of like fingers in a glove, and we created this team Anderson. Anderson wasn't the only kicker to enlist outside help either. Former Chiefs holder and punter Brian Barker recalled his kicker Nick Lowry using the teachings of a well-known life coach as an attempt to gain a mental edge. I'll never forget one of the first things he did, got him from the state into the practice field, was put Tony Robbins on the phone. And back then, Tony Robbins was, I guess he's still a master motivator. And uh, I just thought it was interesting. I never even considered trying to get better in your mind or trying to see a sports psychologist. And Nick introduced that to me, and I think it paid off, obviously. I was able to play and finally retired at age 42. Perhaps the biggest takeaway from this entire series is that kicking is a mental game. That becomes even more true as an athlete's body ages. The mind needs to compensate. What I learned at the end, what I try and teach guys now, it's, it's more mental. Because you've done it, you know you can do it, you know your body's strong, ready to go, just get out of your own way. And that means putting less of a load on your body week to week. Towards the end of my career, I would kick probably 20 balls on Wednesday, 20 on Thursday, 10 on Friday, nothing Saturday, play the game Sunday, nothing Monday, Tuesday. I mean, I kicked very little, and I had a, my best success at the end of my career. Three of Jaeger's four best years in terms of completion percentage 
came consecutively in the final quarter of his NFL career. When Jaeger did retire, it was because injuries caught up to him. Football is a physical sport synonymous with hits and injuries, but because kickers aren't often subjected to the violence of the game, it's assumed that injuries aren't as much of a problem either. As Morton Anderson explains, that's just not the case. There's repetitive motion injuries, which is probably the most common one. So doing the same thing over and over again thousands of times. Wear and tear on the knees, ankles, lower back, hips, hamstrings, quads. There's numerous uh, areas where you have issues, strains, pulls. So yeah, there's lots of ways. Kicking is a violent motion done over and over again at maximum intensity on game days. Especially as you get older, that wears on your body and can create serious injuries, even if you aren't getting hit. And the expectation for kickers is the same as any other player on the roster. You have to learn how to play with some pain. You know, I had back spasms. I had a high ankle sprain. Somebody came through the um, line and landed on my right leg. And when my leg went down after a field goal and blew out my ankle, and I came back in and kicked that game. Let me tell you, that's not fun. But Stover did it because he was committed to winning committed to excelling at his craft, which in football means playing hurt. He took care of himself, so when it came time to retire, it was on his terms, not his body's. And I played until I was 42, and if you ask me how did I feel when I was 42, I felt great. I could still kick after that, but I knew at that time, when I helped the team that Indianapolis helped hit the Super Bowl, we lost the same. I walked off the field and I said, man, you know, I did my best to help the team, that was my goal. What else do I need out of this career? Do I keep on money? So if that's the reason I'm playing, it's for the money, I played for the wrong reason. It's just, no, it's time to go. So often in the NFL, a player is forced to retire, not because he was done playing, but because his body couldn't handle the rigor of a full season. Stover was definitely fortunate not to sustain a major career-ending injury in those final few years, but he also took unbelievable care of his body. His deep commitment to preparation, as well as some luck, allowed him to retire at 42 despite having some gas left in the tank. Stover also had the benefit of playing almost all of his career with one franchise. Aside from his rookie year on the 1990 Super Bowl champion Giants where he didn't play a single game, and his final season on the Super Bowl losing 2009 Colts, Stover spent 18 years with one club. While that franchise would change from the Cleveland Browns to the Baltimore Ravens, it wasn't because Stover was switching teams, but rather his team was switching cities. What it takes to play that long and for this team for 18 years to trust me with that, of course I had to perform, but they didn't want to make a change. I always had competition, that's just life. But you know, they, they trusted me enough and I'm so grateful for the 18 years that I had. I, I always thought my career was a privilege, it was never my right, even though I, I performed well. Well, there's a lot of other people out there that perform, but they, they decided and, and chose to do that for me. I'm so grateful for it. While it wasn't 18 years, Eddie Murray spent the majority of his two decades in the league in Detroit with the Lions. 12 seasons to be exact. But in the spring of 1992, Detroit spent a second round pick on his replacement, Jason Hansen, who would spend a record setting 21 years kicking with the Lions. While Hansen's career was just beginning, Murray's seemed to be coming to a close. He was in his 30s with a declining field goal percentage after a hip injury in 1990. But Murray wasn't done just yet. Over the next eight years, he would kick for six teams never playing for the same team in consecutive seasons. He went from being the guy in Detroit to a gun for hire. 
as great a 12-year career as I had with Detroit, I needed to now show the rest of the NFL that I was still relevant. And so from that year on, all the way to when I retired, I worked out twice as hard. I trained harder every year from that year on because basically I was playing one year for all the other teams that I played for. That meant constantly trying out for a chance to play on an NFL roster year in and year out. That didn't always mean those calls were legitimate, however. Being a leg for hire also meant Murray would try out for teams who had no intention of signing him, but rather wanted to put pressure on a struggling young kicker who needed to do better. But every time there was a job and I got a call, I got the job. And it was because I was ready and prepared. A mindset essential to being a leg for hire, always looking for the next job. I went in there with a business approach. It's not just the big leg. It's also the scenario that you're talking about. Thriving on being in that competitive situation to try to show that you're the one that they should choose. And why is that? Sometimes it's just your approach. I wasn't a person that was, for lack of a better word, an ass to guys. I mean, I was always very cordial. I was always talking to guys and all of that. But then as soon as the workout started, I clicked that switch on and I'm concentrating on what I need to do. One of the teams that Murray played for was the Super Bowl champion 1993 Dallas Cowboys. 21 months after being replaced for the next big thing in Detroit, Murray was playing for a Lombardi trophy. They were a pretty fine oil machine at that time anyway. I just kind of rode their coattails. Coach Johnson was the puppet master as far as, you know, making the moves that he needed to make and putting the team together and making them better from the year before. In 1992, head coach Jimmy Johnson led the Cowboys to their first Super Bowl since the 77 season. When Murray had arrived, Johnson and company were looking to repeat. Coach Johnson really strives for excellence at practice. Jimmy never beat these guys up, but, you know, if we needed to be uh, challenged at practice, he would always have a good scenario and work hard but not long. For an aging kicker, working hard but not long is the name of the game. You no longer have the luxury of a body that can kick hundreds of balls every day in practice. But what you do have is the experience and professionalism needed to know the right way to work on your mental and physical game while still being able to excel on Sundays. That's why Murray looks back on his two decades in the NFL with gratitude. Very good employed on employed, so to be one of those, well, when I first came to the league, one of those dirty guys that made uh, an NFL roster as a kicker, I always used to say the hardest thing was keeping your job, not getting your job. So to play 20 years as a professional place kicker is very hard to do, as well as it's very hard to be a professional football player. It's a very elite group, and to be one of the kickers who have played as long as I did, I feel very fortunate. Which brings me back to Nick Lowry. After being cut 11 times by eight teams and finally making a roster by beating out future Hall of Famer Jan Stenerud, his work had just begun. His nearly 20-year career happened because of his outlook on life and the game he loved, an outlook best explained by a portion of the 2005 Eckhart Tolle book, A New Earth. In the book, it talks about the life journey being about the choice in life between something that feeds the ego and feeds the spirit. And athletes today, and athletes always, are fed by the ego, not in a bad way, but the ego feeds identity as it develops. It feeds comparisons, which we need. How am I doing? How am I doing? As a kicker, gosh, there's no more position that seems, at least on the surface, to be more easily measured in terms of success or failure. So the ego plays that role for us, but the transition 
has to be then being able to identify what feeds our ego and what feeds our spirit so we keep growing once we've achieved some level of success. For Nick Lowry, that moment was his game winner in the 1982 Pro Bowl, detailed in the game-winning kicks chapter. And then I'm in the locker room, it's such a high, you know, you come through to your teammates. It's not the Super Bowl, but it's the Pro Bowl. And the Pro Bowl was a big deal back then. I remember as the cameras left, there were probably 20 television cameras in the room. And as they left, and some teammates left, and I'm getting dressed, and I'm thinking, what am I going to do to celebrate? Well, my buddy Bob Grupp, who was a Pro Bowl punter for the Chiefs the year before, and he was out there with me. I'll go have dinner with Bob, and that's great. But it really, the overwhelming feeling, even today, all these years later, is how empty it was. And I I remember at dinner thinking, this really doesn't feel like that Hollywood experience. What's missing? What is missing? Lowry hadn't yet learned to feed his soul. It became really clear. Well, my goals needed to include not only kicking the game winning field goal and being hero and being the best at what I did, but sharing it with my family, sharing it with my friends. If you don't include that, you are absolutely charting a course for ultimate disappointment. Nick Lowry is not only the perfect example of how hard making the NFL as a kicker can be, he also exemplifies what it takes to stay in the league. You need to feed your soul and find fulfillment in the grind of being an NFL kicker. So when I went back and kicked two more game-winning field goals, by the way, in the Pro Bowl, guess who was in the front row? Mom and Dad. Guess who was at dinner with me the night before the game with Lamar Hunt and Derek Thomas? My mom and dad and my brother and my sister were there. Those are the cherished memories. So that's so important to me because those apply to everything we do in life. If you measure success because you had the best field goal percentage or because you did something with that as well and you were able to share it with people that would be there even if you missed 10 field goals. Earning the job of a starting kicker in the NFL is an achievement in itself. But sticking around, that requires something deeper. There's so many great lessons wrapped up in being a kicker. Yeah, you make the field goal, but did you have a bigger vision too? So you're able to share it with people and you have a life that's so much bigger than just a bunch of field goals. Coming up next time on Locked On Presents Through the Uprights. He was once called the most promising kicking prospect this century. The Buccaneers traded up to get him in the draft, and yet he was cut after one season. Now, hear Roberto Aguayo's story in his own words. I remember watching, I'm like, is it really that hard? Like, no one could do it, no one could do it. And then I got up there and I was like the first one that made it. And they were like, whoa, 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 do it again, do it again. And I hit it and I hit it again. And coach was like, all right, we have our kicker. And I was like, oh, cool. And now I play tight end. I play Mike Linebacker and I'm also the kicker. Everyone asked like, oh, you know, what are you going to consider a good season? Like going perfect? And I'm like, I mean, I guess, yeah, I missed one. So like, you got to miss one less than your last season. And that means I have to go perfect. <laughs> but I was like, you know what? Just keep on doing the same thing I did last year. If I go perfect, I go perfect. If not, you know, that's not going to define the season that I have. I felt every, no matter every kick in practice, every kick in preseason, every, I feel like everything was, was being charted. And I was basically, you know, I had to be a robot. I had to make everything. And, um, you know, maybe if I would have came in a little bit less, you know, I have to make everything. I have to make everything. I have to be a robot. It would have been a lot different. And, you know, like preseason's preseason, like I'm going to be the starting kicker, like get all the bad kicks out, of, uh, out during preseason. You know, I think I, I put more pressure on myself than what needed to be. Through the Uprights is reported, edited, and sound designed by Cole Weinstein for the Locked On Podcast Network. 
Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this bonus episode of Locked On Presents Through the Uprights. To listen to the entire six-episode podcast series, search for Locked On Presents Through the Uprights, available now wherever you listen to podcasts.